Chapter Four of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Southern Waters, the clear June sun of the day that brought the sad news to Edmund Walroth by the Northern Sea danced and sparkled on the waters of the broad lagoons between Venice and the fashionable suburb on the Lido. It shone with such a hearty good will that the outlines of the distant Alps could be seen in the brilliant air, and the evening glow woke a hundred scintillating points of light from the golden turrets and cupolas of the famed sea city. It was a pretty sight and seemed to please the young man who stood looking at it from the tower room window in Marquesa Martini's exclusive pension on the Lido, for he smiled and whistled a merry tune, which he had to interrupt now and then as a bad cough racked his thin though well-knit frame. He was a well-dressed young man, and the room behind him was the finest in the establishment. Richard Walkner was the Marquesa's star boarder and particular pet. In fact, all the ladies in the house made a pet of him. He was so gay and light-hearted in spite of his cough, for life had dealt easily with Richard Walkner. His father was a rich Viennese manufacturer, and he himself held an easy, well-paid position in a big bank. His present experience as inmate of Marquesa Martini's select establishment was a novelty for the gay young city man. But his doctor had insisted on early hours, regular meals, and all the other accompaniments of the simple life. Richard kicked over the traces now and then, to the good Marquesa's great anxiety, but as he managed to come home fairly early from his dips into the nightlife of Venice, she contented herself with a motherly admonition. She was prepared to deliver one now, as she climbed the stairs to the tower room, for Richard had sent down to ask when he might see her. Her own room was in disorder, and she preferred to go up to the tower. "'Why, Marquesa, how good of you to come up!' exclaimed Wagner as she opened the door in response to his, "'Come in. I didn't expect this.' "'The paper hangers are busy in my room, and the salon was full,' explained the Marquesa, as he led her courteously to the sofa. "'Oh, but you are the polite young gentleman today. You must want something very big of me.' "'Marquesa, am I not always polite?' Richard smiled into her still handsome eyes. "'Oh, signor, would you teach me to know men, especially gay young men like yourself?' save such glances for younger ladies who will appreciate them when you smile that way at an old woman i tremble to think what you could want of me it's not so very much oh well i know i shall say yes but the marquesa grew suddenly serious you must not ask secrecy from me again if you go away on another little trip i will tell the good doctor i will not keep it a secret as you made me promise to do last time for your own sake i must not these four days you have been away have done you no good you look very ill again and i know you are feverish no i will not be your accomplice again if you will commit such follies when you are here to get well you must do it without my assistance richard's face darkened suddenly while the marquesa was speaking his black brows drew together and his cheek was a shade paler but he overcame the passing emotion with a quick effort and smiled his sweetest as he answered oh no dear marquesa it's no such matter this time i shall go no further than venice oh i see then you want my prettiest gondola again and achille excellent guess you're a mind-reader dear lady didn't you know that very well then you insist on disobeying the doctor for you know yourself that these little hmm, diversions make your recovery much slower i wish i could prevent them but if i don't give you my gondola you can get twenty others and i can't tell those boatmen to bring you back at twelve o'clock 
as I can tell, Achille. And that worthy man is uncomfortably obedient. Naturally, or he'd be discharged. Dear boy, can't you get along for a few weeks without these, without staying out all night? I'm not a baby, Marquesa. Oh, yes, you are. A great big baby with a neat little mustache. You'll never grow up. You're just a schoolboy, and quite as lively as a schoolboy, in spite of your bad cough and your pale cheeks. I wish I could put some color into them. Well, never mind, I suppose I'll say yes this time, too, and let you have the gondola and Achille. But you must take a warm rug, also. Delighted, I'm sure. When do you start? About eleven. So late? And we can't possibly be back here before one. We? The lady who comes with me. She's arriving on the Midnight Express. Hm, the Marquesa sat up a bit stiffly. May I ask who this lady is? The wife of a good friend of mine. Indeed? A charming young lady. Indeed. Her husband comes later, I hope? No, he can't leave his work, answered Volkner with the most demure air. But she can leave him? The Marquesa's tone was quite sharp. Volkner's eyes drooped, and he whispered shyly, Oh, yes, she just wired me that she's coming. How nice of her. She is nice, and so pretty, too. Faulkner's tone was all confidential discretion. She's so fond of me. We're very intimate, you see. Apparently, the Marquesa moved to the far corner of the sofa, but Faulkner followed, as he continued with an embarrassed air. She asked me to engage a room as near mine as possible, adjoining mine if it's to be had. Now, since that chilly Englishman just moved out of the room next door, it will suit us exactly. The Marquesa rose. Her voice was icy. My dear Mr. Faulkner, I prefer chilly Englishmen to young women who would go about visiting intimate friends without their husbands. My dearest Marquesa, you surely are. I am a woman of the world, young sir, and I do not expect young men of your sort to lead the lives of Trappist monks, but there is a limit to what I permit in my house. Faulkner rose also and looked very sad and a bit defiant. I don't understand you at all, Marquesa. Can't a sister visit her brother? She looked her surprise and relief. Your sister? Why didn't you say so? Faulkner laughed merrily. The Marquesa joined in the laughter and tweaked his ear. You wanted to make a fool of me, didn't you, you naughty boy, even if you had to tell a little fib? How so, fib? The wife of a good friend of mine, quoted the Marquesa. But it's true. My brother-in-law, Major von Fiedner, is a very good friend of mine. Oh, I see. That's how you twist it? I don't twist it. That's the way it is and now you'll be nice to me and love me again, and Mila can have the room next door, and I can have the gondola tonight, and Achille, and, most especially, don't forget the rug. I shan't forget anything, although you don't deserve it, but I'll tell your sister to look after you while she is here. You went in swimming today when you were all heated up after running about the sand. Simonides told me. Simonides is a Greek. You can't trust a Greek. We learned that in high school. Faulkner offered his arm to the Marquesa and led her ceremoniously to the door, pausing there long enough to smile deep into her eyes. But I am a dear boy, Marquesa, am I not? You are, she laughed, then more serious. You're one of those favorites of fortune whom all the world loves and pets, and who suffer doubly when fate or the world goes against them. Faulkner's gaiety vanished when the door closed behind the Marquesa. He turned to the window again, looking out with eyes that did not see the rich glow of evening illumining all the world outside. His teeth were set tight, and he shivered as if in fever. If I could only forget that hour, it will haunt me forever, he murmured, his face ghastly pale. He raised his clenched fists and shook them threateningly 
toward the distant mountains to the north. But an hour later he was at the dinner table, the center of attraction and the gayest of all the guests. The Marquesa stood waiting to receive her new guest when the gondola returned at one o'clock that night. The good lady's doubts were quite set at rest by the resemblance between the two young faces that smiled in answer to her welcoming words. How charming! exclaimed Milla von Wiedner as she looked around the room that was to be hers. I'm in a state of delight at everything tonight, for it's my first visit to Venice. Where's Richard? Looking after your luggage, probably, replied the Marquesa. That won't tax him much. We army women travel light. Oh, there he is. Faulkner stepped into the radius of light from the hanging lamp. Now let's get a good look at you, little girl, and a good hug. He came forward with arms outstretched, but his sister started back in alarm. Why, Richard, you're so pale. And so thin. Oh, I didn't know you'd been so ill. He won't take care of himself, put in the Marquesa. He was a bit better, but— but you see he has the fever again i'll send you up a pot of hot tea she finished rather hurriedly and went out do i look as bad as all that asked faulkner with an attempt at a smile as he dropped into a chair milla von wiedner laid aside her hat and coat then came to her brother and stood looking down at him her hands on his shoulders you lied to us didn't you she asked you were much sicker than you told us naturally oh then it's quite natural to lie to your sister and you didn't tell mother the truth either there are times when one can't tell a woman the truth you go off the handle right away mamma and i aren't that kind and why didn't you tell father or bertie you never let him know either dad's ill himself i wouldn't dare let him get excited or nervous bertie's not nervous no your bertie doesn't own a nerve but he's so up to his ears in work just now then there's no one in your own family you could confide in milla sobbed faulkner rose and took her in his arms why, Milly dear, don't be so upset. I couldn't tell the old people, you know that, and I didn't want to unload my cares onto your husband or on you. Why couldn't you? she sobbed as she stroked his heavy dark hair. Anybody think you've been doing something wrong instead of just getting so sick and never letting your family know how bad it was. It was a bit of my own fault, said Faulkner with a smile. How was it your fault? What did you do to get this lung trouble? Faulkner turned his head for which a bad fit of coughing might have been sufficient excuse. Milla's thoughts were busy at something. Suddenly she gasped, caught his face, and turned it to hers, looking him straight in the eyes. Richard, it was a duel, I remember now. I heard something, but I wouldn't believe it. Was that it? He nodded. Yes, I got a bullet near enough to the lung to bring this on. He leaned back, coughing. Milla dropped into a chair, as pale as her brother. No, you couldn't tell the family, she murmured. But, oh, why didn't you send for me, and Bertie? You let strangers take care of you when, when you might have died? You look as if there was the danger. You look as if death had come very near you. Death did come very near me, the young man repeated, his eyes looking into space. Milla was startled at his expression. What is it? What is the matter? Hush, here's the maid. Faulkner rose and walked to the window. The servant set the big tray on the table and went out again. Milla busied herself with the dishes, her thoughts elsewhere. It was some little while before she called her brother to the table. He turned and strolled across the room, quite calm now. "'Aren't you eating anything?' he asked as he helped himself liberally. "'If you haven't had anything since leaving Pontefel, you must be hungry. The Marquesa has looked after us nicely. But then she always does that. She's a motherly old soul.' His sister caught at his hand. "'What does your doctor say, Richard? Tell me the truth, please.' "'Still harping on that foolish little affair?' he replied lightly. 
You needn't worry. The doctor says it will take a good deal harder knock to kill me, and that in six weeks at most I can go back to the bank. They've given me leave until the middle of July. The governor sends me all the money I want, and mother chips in a bit herself on the quiet every now and then, when she thinks the old man isn't watching. The weather is persistently glorious here, likewise the women. What more could anyone want? And best of all are these fruit tartlets, the good Marquesa's own invention. I advise you to take one at once if you want to try them, for otherwise I shall eat them all. Same old Richard, said his sister, laughing against her will. Which I intend to remain for several hundred years yet, little sister. But you'll tell me all about it tomorrow? You really want to hear it? Well, tomorrow then, or rather today. Look at the clock. We ought to be in bed. But they sat together for some time, chatting about family matters. They were very close friends, these two, and they had been separated for over a year. In spite of their late hours, they were on the sands early next morning, running along the beach like two happy children. Milla's delight in moonlit Venice was capped by her awe and wonder at the sparkling stretch of blue water. To the inland dweller, the sea is a great and ever new mystery. They walked along the sands toward Malamoco. When Milla's first burst of delight was over, she began to feel more like an everyday mortal. Her thoughts came back to her own personal interests, and she reminded her brother that he had promised to give her all the details concerning the duel that had so nearly ended fatally for him. A woman in the case, I suppose, she added. Women are the cause of most of your troubles. Quite so, he nodded, but his eyes were serious. Yes, it would have been better for me if I'd never met that layman girl. Funny, too, she wasn't the one I was interested in at first. Who was? Another girl in the same company. An actress or a chorus girl? Now, Milla, you needn't lift that little nose of yours so high, at least not at that other girl. She was dead straight, much too straight for me. I'll confess to you that she turned me down hard. Then you took up with the other one, and she wasn't dead straight? The less said about that, the better. Richard turned from his sister and stared out over the wide waters. Milla took the opportunity to have another good look at him, and her heart ached to see how thin he was. After a pause, he continued. Elise and I became very good friends. Put it that way. It cost me a pretty penny, cost the old man would be nearer the truth, I suppose. That girl's extravagance was unbelievable. It was too much for me. I quit after a few months. I can imagine a man would tire of that sort of girl very soon, said Milla, with a scornful curl of her lip. Richard's eyes flashed, and he seemed about to speak, but he waited a moment with set lips. Finally he spoke, almost harshly. You don't know anything about it. That's just the sort of woman that drives us quite mad. Oh, why will men be such fools? Milla was angry herself now. They go around with, with that sort, and then they expect a decent girl to, oh, it's horrid, horrid. Richard's tension relaxed. Then he smiled at her vehemence. Oh, come now, Milly, you're not a young girl. You know all the men of our class live that way. Your own highly respectable Bertie was a gay young lieutenant once, remember? Bertie never. Got mixed up in a scandal or even a duel, as far as we know. Granted. But he's always seemed quite normal to me so I dare say he has a few little memories of the days before he met you tucked away in his mind. And you know he's nonetheless a good husband and useful citizen because of it. So what's the use? It'll always be that way, and you can't change it. I suppose not, Milla sighed deeply, but go on about your own story. There's no more. I told you. I broke off with her. Then why did you fight a duel? Was she the cause? No, my loose tongue was the cause of that. How? There's a man so crazy about Elise that he wants to marry her. Dear me, 
Why not let him, if he's that silly? He will, don't worry. But we had a little falling out first. He knows that I know her, and he began to rave about her, and let slip the fact that he intended to marry her. I didn't mean to, but it just slipped out. I mean, I remarked that one didn't have to marry that sort of girl. Then I saw that it was a dead serious matter for him. I really felt sorry for the poor chap. He was so cut up. And I was sorry for what I'd said, for I thought that maybe the girl would be all right and perfectly straight once she got her chance, once she was a rich woman with a good social position. I tried to get out of it somehow and calm him down again, but it was no use. He insisted on an abject apology or a duel, and I couldn't bring myself to a direct official lie, you know. The girl wasn't worth that to me, although except for what he could offer her, I felt she was too good for a sickly, sentimental fool like that chap. Well, that's all. Don't let us mention the matter again. You can imagine I'm not anxious to talk about it. But the subject did come up again between the two, although not of their own volition. Richard, tired and a bit depressed, had settled down in a big chair on his balcony, as he usually did after lunch. He liked to sit there in the full warmth of the southern sun and doze for an hour or so. Mella tucked him in carefully and then went into her own room to unpack and straighten out her belongings. When this was done, she took up the last home paper she had bought en route, but had not had a chance to look over. Glancing down the headlines, she saw something that attracted her attention. She read the short notice, then went into her brother's room. "'What was that girl's name?' she queried hastily. "'What girl?' asked Richard, dropping his book. "'The girl for whose sake you nearly got killed.' "'Oh, Elise Lehman.' "'Elise Lehman?' Milla handed him the paper. "'Could this be your friend?' The little lady's tone was scornfully bitter. Faulkner glanced down the column. His cheek grew even paler, his eyes widened. "'Why, Richard, it surely doesn't mean anything to you now,' exclaimed his sister, quite alarmed. He did not answer. His staring eyes were fixed on the report of the Salzburg suicide. The paper rattled in his trembling hands. End of chapter 4